Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast, your go-to source for insights and strategies in the HVAC, plumbing, and roofing industries. I'm Corey Barrier, here to guide you through transformative approaches to business and mindset. Each episode will explore unique methods, focusing on identifying and addressing the core challenges in your field. Our goal is to equip you and your team with practical solutions that foster growth and success. So whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a longtime listener, get ready to dive into a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Let's begin our journey to success together. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn. To live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, two. Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast. I am your host, Corey Barrier, and I'm here with Kita Simone. And so, Kita, would you like to say hello? Hello to all your listeners. Yes. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here. So we were talking briefly before I hit the record button. And I said, you know, I think you know, she mentioned something about uh, crazy energy today, and I mentioned something about uh, how the universe is just really coming together right today and and she said well what's going on and so I said well let me hit record first so that's why I want to tell you the backstory because this podcast is going to be a bit different than what at least it's going to start out a bit differently so um, maybe first what about your crazy energy what's going on with that I am in an interesting place in my life where at the ripe age of right 36, I am stepping in more to my power. And when I started making space for myself, which sounds crazy, right? But when I started making space for myself in my life, things started flowing differently for me. My the energy around me, the energy in my business, the energy in my home is all different. And um and so that's taken me on a path of, you know, interesting things, right? So as you know, I'm in the cannabis industry. Yes. And um, I've recently started edging over to straddle both cannabis and hemp, even though it's the same thing. But we could talk more about that later. Sure. Um, so opportunities have arisen for me to really lend my expertise and my knowledge to people that are also doing amazing things. And sometimes when I check myself and I check where I am, you know, after busting my ass for so long, it's like, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, that the universe is blessing me like this, you know? Um, so it's just really living in that power and living in that energy and watching it reverberate to the people around me. Um, so hearing you say this morning, <laughs> like so, all right. So you got to dive in a little bit deeper uh, <laughs> as far as what the universe is doing. Like this conversation is going to be fucking killer. <laughs> I mean, it is. I, I I am so excited right now. So tell me uh, and everybody else about what. Okay, so you said you 
made some space in your life, what does that, ex- what is, can you, can you speak on that? What does that mean? Sure. Um, Kicked your husband out? I mean, I'm pretty sure. No, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) It's the opposite, right? So, you know, growing up in in sort of this mainframe of society where you think success looks like one thing and, and realizing that instead of going outward and chasing everything outside of you, success really starts on the inside. And so making space means slowing down, being present, checking in, right? And not being afraid to say no. I think that's the biggest declutter, right? In your energy and your time space and your mind space is being able to say no and, and being able to tell people that you work with, people that you live with, people that you care about, I, this is what I need to be happy. And, um, you know, not making yourself small for other people's ideas and expectations. And when I did that, I was, you know, to be honest with you, I think what was holding me back from that sort of approach was the fear of rejection and the fear of um, feeling like I didn't deserve. But instead, what happened was when I did that, I got more respect I got more people wanting to engage with me and I had more peace in my life. So it was sort of like counterintuitive for me to run around trying to please everybody and not really saying, no, I don't want to do this or I can't do this or I'm not coming to your stupid party, you know? Um, And in the end, it really works out to be um, a more forgiving process and a more enjoyable life for me um so i think that's what making making space is all about so if i so so if i break that down it sounds like to me that what you've realized is that if you can work on your inner self so to speak or that be the 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 making room meaning uh, like you said, I don't, you don't have to say yes to everything and, and you have to look out or you're looking out for self. It's like the oxygen mask. When it comes down, I'm not supposed to give it to you. I'm supposed to put it on me. And guess what? That's what the hell I'm going to do because if I'm not able to breathe, I can't help you. Right. And it sounds like to me that's exactly what you're saying that yeah. it, you've realized that you've been giving and giving and giving uh-huh. And you forgot, maybe forgot to take care of, of, of yourself. Absolutely. And Absolutely. And that goes from a very practical standpoint all the way to your mental and spiritual, right? So I'm a person that I am really into health and nutrition. And I found myself eating double smoked bacon croissant sandwiches in the morning and not eating right, not getting to the gym because I had so much stuff to do, you know, and it just really makes no sense because like you said, it's that oxygen mask that you, you have to apply, you know, in different ways that are meaningful to you. Sure. Uh, actually, I'm, 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 I'm actually going through the exact same thing because, you know, when I, I started, so I, I got a little bit sick last 
week and I got had to put in the hospital for a couple of days and um don't really know exactly what I had some kind of some kind of something on my stomach. I don't know what the hell it is. So but but once that happened and after I got out, um because I went to the RT Live Syndicate um event and when I went to that event, you saw part of that, right? So when I went to that event before I ever went, I really didn't we didn't expect to go this far into the story. But so when I went, I, I at first, let's say four or five days before I went, I had expectations. I was fearful of rubbing shoulders with these people that are all multimillionaires. I mean, these are like the big wigs of the personal development world. These are all people that I look up to and that I value and that I strive to be in their circle. And I was coming as one of the guy's guests. And so, which put me at a level that I am actually hanging. I I had a seat at the table at the table, right? So, so I had this thought that I was going to have to basically, you know, out myself that I'm not this millionaire and blah, blah, blah. And it was just the story I told myself. So I, I recognized that. And I told myself before I went, I went, you know what? I'm going to have absolutely no expectations of this weekend and I'm going to enjoy it. And I'm going to meet as many people as I can. And that's it. And so that's exactly what I did. And I met one guy which actually ties to you in a second. Um, I met a guy that brokers cannabis. Well, as you know, I've been trying to get in the cannabis industry for the last three months. And you, you know a little bit about the story. I busted my ass and learned a whole bunch of stuff. And the guys that I was going to go into business with, it didn't work out. Which universe, I, I totally, you know, it is what it is. It wasn't what I wanted to hear at the time. But I knew there was a reason for it. So fast forward, I meet this guy and he says, you know, why don't you broker him? And I said, I, well, first of all, I don't, I don't, I don't know how that works. And he said, dude, he was like, I've listened to your, he, he listened to me for, I don't know how long on the phone. And he said, I've listened to you. I've seen you. I've seen how you work. Mm-hmm. He said, this is exactly what you're made for. Serious mm-hmm. somehow picked up. I don't even know how the hell that happened. He said, he said, so, you know, this is what you're, this is what you're, this, you could, you could be so good at this. And I said, well, I know some people, you and, and several other people. And he said, look, it's real simple. You know, this is how the transaction works and I won't go into all the details. It's not very, but it's not, it's not a challenge. It's not hard to do. So when having that conversation with, with him, something and that combined with that weekend, uh, there was a shift in me and, and a shift that I've been looking for and needing and wanting, but just didn't know really how. And really I didn't think about, I, c- I can't really think about the how, because then you get tied up at whatever I could go down that rabbit hole all day. Right. Um, so, so after that, actually let me back up the day we were leaving, um, I happened to be standing in the lobby with another one of the RTA syndicate members. And I didn't know he was a syndicate member, uh, 
but he had two, uh, you know, I've got a sleeve, tattoo sleeve, and he had two tattoo sleeves, so I struck a conversation with him. And, okay, I didn't know if something cut off. Anyway, so I said, hey, I said, I, you know, I would love for you, after I got to know him a little bit better, I said, I, would you like to be on my podcast? I'm starting a podcast. And the reality is, is this mic was sitting here for three months. Mm-hmm. And I just told myself, well, I haven't set it up. I don't really know, you know. Well, so now I put myself in a position where I didn't have any choice. Because I wasn't about to let... I wasn't about to let this guy down. I mean, I then I figured out, well, he's got a hundred thousand followers. Oh, wow. So I'm like, I definitely am not letting him down because that would be stupid. So so the universe is starting to work, right? Everything is starting to come together. And 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 then after I had that conversation with, with Les, I thought, you know, I'm just gonna I'm I'm just gonna fire off messages to people that I value and See who, how many people I can get to say yes. And my success rate has been unreal. I mean, the amount of people and the names of some of the people that I've had on my show so far that I have barely published two of them, they were personal ones, has been so many that I haven't had a chance to even get the first one in order which is a great problem to have. I mean, I, and I've been working to your point of not taking care of yourself. I have been going a hundred miles an hour interviewing people, uh, put scheduling, zoom, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and it's been a lot and learning as I go, because I, I don't know how to, I do now how to do this to an extent. Um, so, so one of the people that I interviewed um, just last night is uh, Dr. Erin Haskell. And she's at drerin.tv on Instagram. Okay. And the reason I connected with her was because I went to lunch with some other guys at the syndicate and somebody mentioned her name. I started following her. She's got a, you know, got a podcast and she's a television show. Da, da, da. But She's all about the subconscious mind. She's all about the universe. It's all, she preaches everything that I love. Mm-hmm. And she's in recovery. So we have multiple things in common. So I contacted her and out of the blue, she had no idea who I was. In fact, I asked her last night, I said, how do you think I know you? Or how do you think I got in touch with you? And she said, honestly, I don't know. I, I, I assume because you follow a mutual friend, that's how. Mm-hmm. And so I told her, you know, that whatever. I told her how I basically that I got to know who she was. And she said, you know, Corey, it's interesting because when you contacted me, I was like, you know, I don't really know this person. And she said, but, but something was aligned. Mm-hmm. There was something aligned with you and I that, I just, I, 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 I don't know what it was. The universe said, tell him yes. And so I don't know if that's a cure exact words, but essentially that's what happened. And so when we got talked to talking last night, we are really aligned uh, in ways that, for example, I, Nick would kill me. He's going to kill me when he hears this. So, um, you know, I was in AA for years. Right. Mm-hmm. And 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 I got away from AA because I have found a a better a, 
for me, a better way of doing it. First of all, I have zero desire to drink. Second of all, I, I know more about the mind and I know more about the subconscious part of it and the patterns and the habit loops. And I figured, I, I don't shit. I'm not saying I've got it all figured out, but I get, I get fed from somewhere else. Well, you're at another level of growth. AA served its purpose. Right. And it was, you know, your gateway mm-hmm. to higher understanding. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so it's very, you know, it's risky talking to somebody else in recovery because, well, I've only talked to two other people that really have come out and said, you know what, dude, I, 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 I'm with you. I totally agree with what you're saying. And she was one of them. Mm-hmm. And so I asked her last night, I said, you know, what if, what if, I said, what if, would it be great if there was an outlet for people that, you know, had gone through the steps and maybe just wanted to level up, to use your words, and go into a different direction, but stay sober. And she said, you know, I've been thinking about that for quite some time. And she said, I, I challenge you to come up with some print, like some, uh, some uh, core values of what that would look like if you had a group. And I said, okay, so today we've messaged back and forth. And since last night, and we started on the phone, I think at 9.30, She said today, she said, look, this is, the, this is what I foresee. She said, I've really been thinking about this a lot. We should start this movement, essentially. And, and I want you to partner with me on it. And the movement is so we can give people an outlet a spiritual outlet um, to stay sober that people maybe don't resonate with AA. There's a lot of people that don't resonate with AA and there's a lot of people that do. So those people that don't really don't have another place to go and to share and to have that camaraderie of people. And, and so when I say the universe is just crazy, our aligning and everything is falling into place. It is unreal. Like this is what, this is the kind of thing I've been working towards for the last year. And I just didn't realize it. I knew I was working for something really big, but I just, I, I couldn't really put my finger on it. And as I look back, I got my NLP certification and my hypnosis certification. I've learned about cannabis. And so with all these things, I've now made connections with the cannabis industry, which I really needed. And now I've made a connection with someone who believes the same way I do about, um, you know, life, so to speak, after AA. And we're going to create something to... A lot of people need a lot of people need it. They really, really do. It doesn't have to be one thing or the other. You know, people that are finding that AA is working for them may also find elements of what you're doing that supplement that, you know. You're um, absolutely right. But, you know, you and I haven't known each other that long. <clears throat> the one thing I can say is what I see in you is this passion to be of service 
that's what I really get from your whole vibe and your whole energy. And I think that is why that and, and Nick, right? Nick was the one that put us together. And, and Nick is such a sound individual that I knew it was going to be, it was going to be all good. But when you and I really started interacting, I got that energetic vibe from you. But this guy is passionate about life. He's passionate about helping people. And that's something that resonates with me. You know, I moved to Vegas back in 2010 and clear to this day, I remember it was like 2009, I was in my backyard and uh, I was in North Carolina. This is when I was living in High Point and I had just finished planting my garden. I just put a garden in and uh, for months I had been on this sort of like emotional I wouldn't call it a disturbance, but there was something in my life inside of me that was telling me there's more for you. There's more for you to do. And I remember getting this download, if you call it, that was so certain. And it was like, you're going to help people. That's your purpose. And I didn't know how. I didn't know when. I didn't know where to start. But that there was a shift, as you say, that we all get during different times in our life, right? That went from, not confusion, but, and not chaos, but it was more defined, right? And And so when I see other people in business and in life that carry that, you know, that energetic vibe of, I'm not here for my ego, it's not really about the money. I need to survive, but it's not about the money. It's about how do I help people? I gravitate to them, as I'm sure you do, right? So, <laughs> so it's good to, to, to feel and to sort of have this knowing that that shift is happening in a lot of different places with a lot of different people. I think overall, as a human race, we're sort of fed up. The bullshit and the archaic thinking, um, and we're ready for something different. And you know, this is nothing against AA, but I think that there there processes and ideas that are going through that same sort of development. Right? It's like it's worked, but more people are changing their thought pattern, more people are changing the way that they they live through this life. And so we have to kind of change our tools to match that. So, you know, good luck to you with that. I think it's gonna be an interesting, exciting ride for you. It is. And so, you know, if you think about, I don't know how familiar you are with, with AA. And again, I, I will say this, I am in no way bashing Sure. A, because it by uh it saved my life mm-hmm. essentially um it absolutely served its purpose however you get into the program and it's the program notice the word program so then you are programmed to do x y z go through the steps and show up and do the things that you're programmed to do. And so 
the point is, is that, you know, my where my aha moment was is when I realized subconsciously uh, that I'm telling myself, I mean, if I say I'm an alcoholic, every time I have to go to a meeting or every time I go to a meeting, I'm reinforcing that thought into my brain, consciously saying it. My brain's hearing that and reciprocating as in you're still fucked up or broken. And it's powerful. Very. And so I thought, I am not, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to say that anymore. So you will not hear me tell you that I'm an alcoholic because I'm not, I just don't fucking drink. And that's just all there is to it. Um, so this is going to cause massive controversy. I am certain of that, but I don't give a shit because it's what I believe. Right. I mean, uh, you know, I had this conversation with Nick probably, I don't know, 12 months ago. He was like, Corey, don't post that shit on Facebook. <laughs> he was like, do not. Uh-uh. He was like, the backlash you're going to get is going to be unreal. And, oh, it, it, and, it, and it is because when people are in AAA, the people, you know, they are, they're in it. I mean, they are in it. And that is the only way to do it's the it. Program. It's the program. It is. But here's the thing about programs. It's like when you said that, I thought to myself, um, how do you really win the race with that? Like, how do you really win that battle? Is it a program or is it a mindset? You know? I'll tell you. It's a mindset, dude. It's like a shift in your... Yeah, well, it's a, it's a mindless program because you're meaning meaning you don't have to think because you're the group thinks for you and and so you don't grow right i mean yes you you help other people but you're not you don't really grow you don't your mindset stays the same you know day after day and and if we and if we can get people to break that loop that habit loop of always thinking that I'm gonna drink if I don't go to AA right right that's 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 pretty powerful and 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 it shouldn't be hard Mm -hmm. it really should not be hard but we have to change people's mindset and the reality is the percentage of people what would you say it is that uh that are successful what do you think their success rate is? Gosh. Attention contractors of the Successful Life podcast. Want to supercharge your business decisions? We've got something just for you. Head over to our website, SuccessfulLifePodcast.com, and click on the free download button to grab your copy of Warning When Hiring a Leadership Coach. Equip yourself with the insights you need to make informed decisions for your business. Don't miss out. I never even thought about that. Um, that stay clean and sober through that program, I would say maybe 75%. Were you sitting down? Seven. What? I may be off by a couple of percentage, but it is absolutely no more than 10 google it wow 
So what does that tell us? Okay, well, then that means we're all feeding into a program that has a 7% success rate. That's shit. You got better odds going to Vegas. If you were going into surgery and your doctor was like, I got a 7%, I got a 10% success rate. I'd be like, would you go? Hell no. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. But that, that, you know, people don't talk about that. They don't, and, and I don't know if people don't think about it, but it's facts. And maybe they, you know, sometimes they 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 do talk about it being a low success rate. I think as a fear tactic, so to speak, to keep you to keep you in, not in a malicious way. I don't mean that, but but people don't view it the same way I just explained it. They view it as, well, I better follow all the rules or the suggestions so I can be in that seven or eight or nine percent opposed to, holy shit, that's not a very good percentage. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know if I want those odds. Right. And right. at the time, you know what? The odds were better. 7% was better than what I had. Right. But, but it's not, but I don't want, 7% of anything is not worth shit. Right. I like that cup. I got that at the Arte event with my shirt. So I've done all my interviews in my, in my Arte shirt because a lot of, yeah, it's really cool. Such a good group. So now that we've ranted on about that, I just, you know, I, the universe is just, it's just unreal. When you're in alignment with what you're supposed to be doing, just like this podcast, I swear to you, every single interview that I have done, I've opened the eyes to somebody about something, every person. You know, and it and it usually it's something about maybe their childhood that they just really never thought about and connected the dots. And I'll give you just a quick example, and then I want you to actually talk on podcast. <laughs> um, so there was a guy telling me a story. He's uh, he worked. Do you know who Andy Frisella is? Say again. Do you know who Andy Frisella is? I don't. So Andy Frisella does the EMF CEO podcast. Actually, he did. I guess he just quit. But he, he's, a, he's a massive influencer, right? Um, he's, he's part of the owner of the RTA Syndicate. Okay. And so his camera guy and, and communications guy, uh, I interviewed him the other night. And he was telling me um, that he had a decision to make. When he was in, I think, junior high, I believe is what he said, or maybe it was high school, either one. And and the decision was his parents were, didn't make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And the school that he needed to go to, because there were two professional baseball coaches there that coached him, uh, was going to be $8,000 a year. And his parents said, we're going to make it work. And he said, I just couldn't allow them to struggle to pay that money and, and plus they would have had to pay like 200 bucks a week to take for somebody to take me to school because they couldn't do it because of their jobs. And he said that would have been a lot of, that would have been a massive amount of money to them at the time. He said, and I had to make a decision. Do I go with the team that's probably going to put me in the pros or do I go to the public school and still be really, really good? Well, what happened really, and he didn't realize this until we talked the other night, is 
you are you are a product of your environment. And so when he left the big the, the winning team, he said, Corey, we won every game. He was like, it was just we just did. When he said, when I went to that public school, he was like, it, it wasn't that way. He said, and it sucked. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't fun for me anymore. And and he said, essentially, I it, it, it caused me to stop playing baseball. And and I said, I said, Tyler, did you ever think about, you know, we all talk about you are the the five people that you're surrounded by. That's who or something along the you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And he said, I never really thought about that. I said, do you realize that the story you just told me was nothing but issues after you made that one decision? And, and he said, no, I I never really looked at it that way. And, and so the point is, is that he had a, you know, he, he opened his eyes to something that he had going on when he was 12 years old that he never really looked at. So that was the point of the whole damn story. So, um, I'm about out of breath. So, (laughs) all right. So tell me, um, I want to hear your story. I want to hear about you. I want to hear what all you've done because you've done some cool shit that you got to admit you have been put in, you have put yourself in, in situations that a lot of people would love to be in. And you've seen and done a lot of things that are really, really, really cool. So I would like for you to tell the audience about that. Oh, well, um, well, let me just say when you asked me to come on this podcast and I said, sure, what is it about? And you said, oh, well, let's talk about you. My first thought was, I'm not going to be able to hide behind my work. (laughs) I'm going to have to open up. Um, But just to give you a little backdrop, I'm originally from the Caribbean, born and raised in Trinidad and Tobago on the island. And um, I'm a third generation female entrepreneur. So small business, innovation, starting from scratch is in my blood. And I love it. I love a challenge. I love putting myself in situations that scare the shit out of me. I love it. I hate being afraid. <laughs> so um, some of the crazy things that I've done in my life. Um, I came to Vegas one year on vacation with my best friend. It was her birthday. Got a job, went home, packed my shit, and moved to Vegas the same year. And I've been here ever since. Um, I, up until that point, I was in hospitality all my life. So, of course, one of the first things that I did when I came here was I, I got a job on the strip, bartending. Of right? Of course. Um, and so I was hanging out and partying. And um, when I was done with that, I was like, okay, well, what do I really want to do? You know? <laughs> um, so I floated around for a while, kind of like trying to figure, you know, figure out who I was. And um, a friend of mine, I would always cook for our friends. And a friend of mine who played professional poker said to me one day, you should do like a meal prep business. So I wanted to food. And I love to cook, as I said before. You know, healthy food is a part of my lifestyle. And my partner uh, was a professional poker at the time a professional poker player at the time. So his whole group of friends, 
you know, they, I don't know if you know anything about poker, but these guys sit at the table for hours, like sometimes nine hours at a time playing. Um, so it was sort of like the synergistic situation where, you know, I would deliver them healthy food to the table and, um, that brought me a lot of fulfillment, being able to share the way that I eat at home and the way that I feed my family with, especially people that like, you know, eat hot dogs and pizza all the time really made me feel good, you know? Um, so but I knew that unless I was opening a restaurant or, you know, doing it on a larger scale, like a cafe or something like this, it wasn't sustainable, right? Um, and in my heart was cannabis. In my heart was cannabis because cannabis is the great equalizer, right? Um, so when you say that, expand right. on that. Right. Cannabis is an amazing plant. It has the ability to heal you physically, and it has the ability, when handled correctly, to set families up for generations, right? Um, and in the past, you know, I was always cognizant of um, sort of like the impact of the drug war on on the people in my own community. And when it became wreck here in Nevada, I had just moved back from California. And my job in California was interviewing um, surgeons, attorneys, farmers, activists, writers. And I got a real good sense of the industry. Those people were in cannabis? In cannabis. I was hosting a cannabis show. In okay. LA. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay, so I missed that part. All right. Yeah, I was hosting a show in, in LA. And, you know, it took me from SoCal all the way up to Laytonville, you know, Humboldt County, um, Mendocino. Um, and I was just in awe of how these people, despite the legality surrounding the industry, sustained you know, on their land for generations. And some of them were taking it a step further in, in employing regenerative practices. And so there was this dichotomy of, you know, the stigma that, that people were not living up to in NorCal. They were doing totally different shit that you weren't hearing about on TV or in the news. And then on the other side, <clears throat> you know, there's this ongoing advocacy for people of color that, you know, are locked away for their life. And that energy and that thought process of you're going to help people in some way started coming back strong. And so I was at the point where I was like, okay, the food is not sustainable right now. I know I can do it. I know people love my food. I know probably somewhere in the future there's a space for this, but not now. And so I immediately got into the cannabis industry. Okay. And then I got a job at a facility, um, helping them prepare their application for a dispensary. And with my background in business, I was able to do that 
And, you know, they contracted me to do some other things internally with their business to get them in a better position. Um, so, you know, eventually I went from contractor position to COO of their, of their business and just totally revamped the project. So these were, uh, let me interrupt you real quick. So you yeah. were helping a company get ready for the league, for the, for rec use. Is that kind of what? Well, they already had their medical and recreational. So the way that it works in Nevada, let's just okay. step back. For a second. Okay. Yes. Nevada went medical in 2016. Okay. Um, and then I believe in 2017, they went rec. Okay. It could be a little mixed up about those dates, but that sounds about right. Two okay. years now for recreational. So what they did is everyone that had a medical license were, were able to apply for a recreational license in 2017. Um, in 2018, state of Nevada said, we're going to release the applications for dispensaries. So people were allowed to apply for a dispensary. This particular facility already had cultivation and production, and they already had their med and rec licenses. So they wanted to build their portfolio with a, and become vertically integrated. Um, so that's when I came in to assist them with that process. Gotcha. Okay. Um, you know, and I had a full circle moment during that time because they asked me hey do you want to help us by applying as a female minority as a part of our business and um i thought about it and I, at first i was excited i was like wow because if someone's asking you to do that obviously they're prepared to give you a seat at the table right because that would be my guess better that was not the case. Mm, how our stories are similar. Go ahead. <laughs> so, but the process was so long that I had already pivoted and started assisting them with other areas of the business while we were going through negotiations and going through this process. So eventually it came to a point where I had gotten there cultivation turned around we had completely redone their lab we had redone some of their flower rooms and stuff like that and really started upgrading the business i was working closely with you know state licensed labs and chemists and, and state auditors um, and built really great relationships with those people but then i realized that no matter what i did i wasn't going to be valued the way that i needed to be valued um, and so I ended that contract and I decided to start my own business. So let me um, back up for just a second. So yeah. if I'm understanding right, they essentially, and I'm, I'm just going to say it the way it sounds. Um, I, is it safe to assume big business? It, it was, uh, it was probably a, a Caucasian group. That safe to assume? Can I say that? Um, there were um, there were Caucasian people involved in the business from a management standpoint, and that was a totally different nightmare that I that I dealt with. And I don't know if it was because 
they were Caucasian, but the owners themselves were not Caucasian. So, um, so, but if color, okay, but you know, they were, they were, um, foreigners from another country okay. and, um, you know, looking at their culture and how women are treated in their culture. Mm. Um, it wasn't surprising to me <clears throat> when all of this started unfolding. I mean, people were trying to steal my work. People were, you know, pushing me to the back and, and, um, um, assuming, the fruits of my labor. And so, you know, I just had to make a decision. Um, is this what I want for myself? You know, is this the example that I want to set for my son and for other women in this industry? And so that was, you know, the catalyst to me leaving. Well, the reason I asked the question is because do you feel like it played a major part that you were female and african-american applying for the license because if i'm if i'm guessing right you probably had a much better chance of getting it i'm just speculating of getting the license than maybe they would have being in whoever wherever they're from or whatever so let me say that the application is scored under a few different main headings okay the heading for diversity um, was something like 40 to 60 points out of a hundred. So there you go. Yeah. Okay. That answers my question. I think. That answers the question right there. Okay. Um, um, and so, you know, <clears throat> I really got to this place where I had to decide, was I going to feel sorry for myself? Was I going to stay angry? Was I just going to talk about it or, was I going to take on the mission of finding other like-minded people like myself, bringing them in, forming my own business, and finding a way to affect change? And I'm sure, as you know, you, you've, you've been a small business owner before, um, before now. And, um, you know, there are times when you say, what the fuck am I doing? Yes. You know, what am I doing? is this going to work, you know? And, um, and so finally coming down to the end of this year, I started my own business in January and now we're coming down to the end of the year and I'm like, wow, usually it takes more time for someone to make these types of advancements and create these types of relationships. But really going into 2020, you know, a brand new decade, a brand new year, I really, I'm so relieved that I made that decision, you know, to step out on my own. Um, and I thank God and I thank the universe that I have remained connected um, to the ether, to the universe, to the energy in such a way where, you know, I put my wants and needs out there. I set my intention and I act accordingly. Right. Yes. Intention is so key. And the fact, and, and I love that you said, you know, that you stepped out on your own and, and especially being female, it's even harder and, and being African-American makes it even harder, I would imagine. And so, you know, I'm so happy that you're telling this story because anybody that listens, I hope, I don't hope, it will 
touch someone yeah. uh, because there are people that are going to listen to this and, and be in, in the position that you were. Right. And so go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I just no, want to make that point. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, you know, that's why I sort of decided, you know, it, it goes back into stepping into your own, right? Not being afraid to tell your story, not caring if the person next to you thinks that you're just, you know, there's just somebody else complaining. Well, no, that's, I'm also doing something about it. Um, and, um, it things have been unfolding in such a way you know when I flew into North Carolina and I met you for breakfast that morning mm-hmm. that really kicked off an amazing ride for me first of all thank you so much for your hospitality that was great um and you know that week or two weeks that I spent traveling away from my family um I met some amazing people in Eastern Carolina um, there's a community out there of black farmers that have been on their land since the 1700s. Wow. And, you know, it's like, okay, this is what you asked for. So what are you going to do about it? These people are asking for your help. And, you know, learning their history, learning their story, looking around at how beautiful their their community is from a physical aspect and the people that live there. I feel so um, fortunate to have a chance to, to share my knowledge with them. And as you know, in Carolina, is it like 90 or 80% of the population lives below the poverty line? I have absolutely no idea. It is a shocking number of people that are, you know, sort of in limbo, now that tobacco, right? Oh, yes, for sure. So you have all this land that was traditionally cotton, traditionally tobacco, and people are looking and saying, well, I've got this infrastructure. I've got this land. You know, what's this hemp thing about? How do I make money? You know, how do I grow it? And, um, And so being able to sort of educate them on the process and and also i'm learning more about land rights and air rights and water rights and and, and, in how convoluted the laws have been historically to keep things sort of like in limbo for a lot of people okay so going through that process and and you know hearing these people's stories about how you know 200 200 years ago, 100 years ago, these stories were being passed down about how their family members were basically lynched on their own land and their land was stolen from them. Uh, It makes it a little more like, you know, of a serious undertaking for me. For sure. You know, to to educate them on how to create land trusts and, and, and how to protect that land and how to turn it into a performing asset instead of a tax liability, right? Um, and then leave North Carolina and I come back to Vegas, a good friend of mine who happens to be African-American, um, I'm actually meeting him after this podcast. He was working in the cannabis industry for a publicly traded cannabis company and had a similar experience to me and decided, you know what, 
I'm going to leave my cushy job and I'm going to start my own CBD dispensary. He started with one store. He um, just signed the contract on his third location and he's about to go into Caesar's Palace or, you know, open his kiosk. And so he came to me and he said, Kita, you know, I've gotten my business this far, but I'm tired and I'm one person and I'm at a point where I need help in building the rest of this company out. And, you know, there's just such a feeling of gratitude to be in a position where people are coming to me saying, um, you know, do you mind? Can you share a little bit with me? Because that, you know, for me, there's always sort of been this question in my mind, you know, do you deserve this? You know, can you follow through and not let these people down and do it, do the work that you feel called to do? So it's sort of like this great synergy or symbiosis of, you know, wanting to help, needing to help and having the opportunity to, to do it. Yeah. That's awesome. So have you made that decision in your mind? Meaning, have you given yourself permission mm. to go and do what you know how to do? Yeah, I think um, agreeing to do this podcast is a small step in that direction. <laughs> well, good. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So, um yeah, you know, we are moving forward in North Carolina. We've applied for the hemp license. We are structuring the, the parent company and creating the cells within the company and building out a lot of the framework. And um, I will probably end up becoming a partner in this Vegas uh, retail channel. Uh, and then there's also a consumption lounge that I'm working on with, you know, property owner that is African-American. And let me just say this, for me, it's not about doing business only with people that look like me. That's not what it's about. It's about doing my share and doing my part to make sure that there's a seat at the table for those people. Um, some of my greatest teachers in the cannabis industry are white males, right? And, and, and so I feel as though it has less to do with your skin color and more to do with your mindset and who you are as a person. Um, and so I think that, you know, for all my colleagues and, and, and my counterparts that, you know, sort of have this anger that they're carrying around with them, uh, it's important to realize that we are a product of our environment, like you said earlier. So when you meet someone that, you know, pardon the pun, meets you at a certain level, it's important for us to remember that person is just working with the tools and resources that they have. They're functioning at a level that they know how to function. Right. Right. And less times it's about them just being a piece of shit and more about them, you know, working with the programming that, you know, that they've accepted. 
that they have accepted. Um, and, and, you know, so it's a fine line of being cognizant of that and then being unapologetic about your mission and who you are. And that's what I'm learning to, to, to juggle. Yeah. Well, you know, to your point, it sounds like that you recognize, you know, sometimes you have, sometimes you have to meet people where they are, Yeah. you know, and not everybody has obviously has the same mindset, but I think everybody's capable uh, of having the same mindset. And, and when we come across people that maybe are not so like-minded, I think it's, I, I think it's safe to say that, you should at least give them a shot and help them understand that there is a higher purpose and there could be a better life out there for them. White, black, great, whatever, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a part that they've have to help themselves, you know, right. if, uh, you can't, you can't do it for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. So anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No, I, I think that uh, what affects a lot of us, you know, in the decisions that we make day to day is this <clears throat> false narrative of scarcity and false narrative that if you help the person next to you, then there's less, you know, for you, right? Um, and, you know, what I've witnessed in my professional career in cannabis is a whole lot of unprofessionalism. Hmm. Okay. Right. It is an industry that's, that's new. It's an industry that was really, you know, born out of culture. And so it was, you know, it was really more about personalities and music and art and consumption. And now we're sort of trying to dress it up and make it, you know, it's a commodity. It's going to be sooner or later traded on the stock market. Okay. So in our effort to take it from something that's sort of rugged and bring it into a uniform, you know, um, um, way of doing things, you, you, you know, it's very interesting, the people that you come across, um, and, working with some of the, the guys that I've worked with, it just, it, it leaves me in awe. And, and I wonder how people that are actually qualified and um, experienced get passed over for, you know, people that aren't. And, 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 and time and time again, I, you know, I have to shake my head because it's like, I want to know how the people that get certain opportunities right? How did you, how, how did you find yourself in this position? Because you, number one, you don't know what you're doing. Right. At all. Hands down. You have no clue what you're doing. And then on top of that, you treat the people that work for you like, you know, they're not worth anything. So it, for me, surpasses, you know, part of my mission is definitely helping people in my community, like I've said, but it also goes beyond to um, making sure that this industry doesn't become like a lot of industries where, you know, it's money over people, it's money over patients, it's money over progress, 
Um, and so woven into a lot of my uh, services are things like regenerative practices, social equity verticals, education, you know, verticals, because like I said, cannabis is the great equalizer. Here's a chance for us to do things differently. Here's a chance for us to reverse and change the narrative that we've been taught that cannabis is, you know, it's a dirty thing. It's a gateway drug. And the more that we educate consumers and ourselves, the more that we're realizing that that was just a complete lie, right? It was a lie of convenience. It was a lie to keep black and brown people and white people segregated and apart from each other. That's facts. Yeah. So, so, you know, this is big, this is big work that we're doing. And now as you step into this, you know, industry, you're going to find people trying to slide you product that's not good. You wouldn't take it, you know? And so it's, it's up to people like you and me to put our foot down and say, no, I'm not touching that. I'm not giving that to sick people. Right. You know, I, I do have to wonder, you know, the people, so let's, let's just kind of back up for a second. You said that, you know, we, though sometimes you wonder how certain people get to the table, right? Mm-hmm. Because they don't really have the knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's just a big question. How It has to be the money, right? They have, so I interviewed another a guy that, he is a genetics guy Ooh. and he's a, been doing it forever and he does it legally and you know, he didn't do it legally for a long time, but he does it legally now. And he said, you know, it is like, he said, it's not, and he's from, do you know where, if I say the holler or, or, Oh, oh my God, what does he call it? The, um, Jefferson State. Jefferson. Jefferson. Where is that? So so it's in California slash Oregon, I think. I think it's. uh, And so it's an area not far from Humboldt, I think. Okay, NorCal. It's in NorCal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so for whatever reason, they're, you know, his thing Mm -hmm. is this. He was like, you know, people that have a whole lot of money are coming into this industry because it's cool now. Well, it's mm-hmm. always been cool, but now it's the cool thing to do is to be in the cannabis industry. And he said, you got people coming in that have a lot of money and they're ripping people off mm-hmm. and it's, they're making it very corporate when it's not go to your point. You know, it's like, you know, this is a culture. This is, this is something, a sacred plant that people um, value and they look at it as their heritage, as their, maybe that's not the right word, but they're all well, sacred, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. And so they corporate people could give a shit about that. They don't care about that. They just care about how much money are we going to make? Yeah. And so it's crush, it's crushing, the, it's crushing people that have been in it forever and that do it because they love it. Mm-hmm. And and it's knocking them out of their industry, and I hate that. It's actually fueling the black market. 
It is. Because a lot of activists and, and you know, people that, like you said, have been in this for, for years and years are looking at the industry like you guys are perverting it, you're whoring it out, and it's, it doesn't look anything like we hoped a legal landscape would look like. And so you have these connoisseurs and, and you know, these people that for them it's more than just smoking weed and looking cool right. that are rebelling and they're staying in that gray and black market. So, you know, what I see happening and I, and I see it, it's, you know, I slowly see it happening um, with these larger companies. Some of these publicly traded companies in Canada and now the U.S., the bottom started. They're hemorrhaging cash. Most of them right. are. Most of them. Right. And, and, yeah, we could say it's bad spending, but it's also because your priorities are fucked up. Yes. You're not in it to help people. You're not in it to help people. And everybody and their mama is a master grower. You know, excuse me, but people that are really master growers don't call themselves master growers. Hell no. You know what I mean? They don't so, have to. They don't have to. They don't have to. And here in Nevada, you know, recently there was um, a spot check on two different dispensaries where the state came in and they tested product that was supposed to be clean and it tested for mold and aspergillus. Okay, so now this has become more than just um, throwing your money around. Now it's become, now it's progressing into, yeah, you're throwing your money around, you don't know what you're doing, you're causing problems in your facility, and now you're still sending that product to market, and you're implementing labs in getting the type of results that you want so that you can give patients moldy weed, like, like, yeah, just a turn by, you know, so. So, and, you know, there are things that happen. Like I said, this is a growing industry. We're figuring out processes, figuring out SOPs. There are things that can happen in between getting your product tested and then getting it on the shelf, right? Um, And if you're not careful, you can create an environment that will produce mold, even if you had a clean test. But I will say this, there are also uh, facilities and, and companies that know that they're not doing the right thing. And, and I think that this new wave of education, you know, what's happened with the vaping incidents, um, when you have, you know, the type of publicity with the mold, consumers are gonna go, okay, well, let me go to Google because obviously I'm not getting the information that I need, you know? Right. And, and people are gonna start educating themselves more. And that's gonna call for these big companies and these big brands to drop the charade, get real or get out. And, and, and I think that's what needs to happen. I totally agree. Yeah. Because, you know, for the average consumer, you know, I can walk into any fucking place, gas station, Walgreens, wherever, and buy a bottle of CBD. Now, mm-hmm. Because the regulations are so, well, hell, there really is no regulation. I don't know what I'm getting. I don't know if I'm getting a bottle of 
just oil that has nothing in it. Right. It says it does. How? And there's no, there's, there, right now, there's no way for the consumer to, to know unless they are smart enough to go and look at, okay, well, look at the certificate of analysis. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to find that in a gas station. No. Like, if you buy shit at a gas station, most likely it's going to be something somebody threw together. together and it's probably not going to have anything in it. I mean, you know, and God knows whatever, how they, I don't even know how you make fake stuff like that, but it's really shitty of people. And the bottom is going to fall out for those people because that's how the universe works. Right. It does not look kindly on people that do shady shit. Mm -hmm. Just doesn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I think one of the biggest things I always tell my friends or anybody that's like looking for, you know, especially hemp or CBD products. First of all, you know, you look at how much is in that bottle, right? Um, if you have a two ounce, three ounce, four ounce bottle, and it's got 25 milligrams of CBD in it, like just, you're going to have to drink the whole bottle. Right. You need at least 25 milligrams dosage. Right. Okay. So, you know, the higher the dosage, the better. What, I, what, what I'm also seeing is like these higher dosed, products are insanely expensive yeah you know i i saw somewhere last night it was an eight ounce bottle dosed very well a thousand milligrams not that's the type of stuff that you know i would purchase a thousand milligrams of cbd in an eight ounce bottle of lotion you know you're getting your medicine but it was 69 dollars you know so it's like what, what are we going to do to help facilitate medical patients that really need this stuff? Um, are we going to call on our CBD retailers to give better pricing to medical patients? Because they're not just using it, you know, after they play sports. They need this to get through the day. Sure. You know, they need it to, to function. Um, so, you know, I always tell my friends, know the source, know the source get to know the source and I have this joke and like don't buy your CBD from a gas station just don't do it right <laughs> just I, don't do it I totally agree <laughs> um, so yeah it's amazing to me um, but it, it's it's coming you know the regulations are coming and and it's going to weed out probably 75 percent Mm-hmm. of the people that are pushing CBD on every outlet they could possibly push it on. Right. You know, it, it just is, it, it is. And you know, it, whatever, you know, it, I, they'll get what's coming to them and, or, or they'll shape up mm-hmm. and create a product that's worth a shit. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. You yeah. Know, that's exactly. a I think it's normal for this type of industry. You know, it's uh you know, we're having another gold rush, right? We're having this green rush where, you know, people come to see what's up and, and the market will eventually, like you said, even out um, and we'll see, you know, better quality products. I hope that there's space for small businesses. There's space for people that have been historically sort of like, you know, left out small family businesses. Um, so, yeah, I think in a few years, it's going to be a totally different landscape. 
And hopefully we'll have cannabis legal in North Carolina in a few years. I know, right? So how, how is that looking? I read something the other day that, you know, federally, maybe they were going to do something, you know, with all the 50 states. I could be wrong. Mm. Um, but that would be really cool if, you know, because look, the, the laws are just so stupid in that, yes, we're going to allow you, my buddy Wes, I said, yeah, we're going to allow you to, 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 to grow it and to sell it. But if we decide to kick your door in and take all your shit, we can do that too. Yeah. And yeah. that's what, and that's what happened to him. And it cost him $1.2 million. Oh my gosh. So the feds must have came. They did. And seized everything. In Colorado. What? Yeah. This year or last year? Last year. So it was the worst year he's ever had. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so I have been really paying attention attention to the behaviors that are happening within the federal government. I'm sorry about that. No, you're fine. Um, give me one second. Sure. And, um, you know, the, what's his name? Mitch McConnell recently asked that the USDA, the DEA, and the FDA all come up with their formal position on hemp, and I want to say cannabis as well. So in the interest of my clients, I've been really looking at what's going on in North Carolina. What I'm finding is North, the state of North Carolina doesn't really have the tools to discern in the field joining traffic stops the difference between hemp and cannabis. Right. So what they said was, you know what? As of June 2020, all smokable hemp flour is banned. That is exactly what I heard. And I was shocked to hear that, to read this, because that's a huge part of the industry. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be able to cultivate hemp flour and perhaps export it to other states, but you're still cutting out a huge demographic of patients that need that product in your own state. So I got on the phone with A&T, and then I also called the ag agent for Hope County. Um, And I was just chatting with them. Hey, you know, what do you guys think is going to happen with this ban? And, you know, the one time that that big tobacco is going to help us is with their interest in keeping hemp flour legal. So even though there's this looming ban, a lot of people don't think it's going to actually go into play. Um, And so... My thought was, I have some friends in Israel that um, came up with an instrument. It's about this big. And you sit on a desk. And what it does is you put your flower in there and it holds it in like a spindle. And you close the top and it tests the THC and CBD levels in your flower. 
And so I was speaking with the gentleman at A&T and I said, you know, have you guys looked into any instruments for officers out in the field that would allow them to test on site? And apparently, hats off to the state of North Carolina, they have been looking at different instruments, but all of them have been failing and they're not reliable. So our plan is to um, get this instrument from my friends in Israel, um, get it to an independent lab in North Carolina, let them do their third party testing on it, and hopefully, you know, be of some assistance to lawmakers and the police in, you know, arming themselves with the right tools in, in, in doing their job, right? Because the point is, if cannabis is illegal, it's illegal. We're not talking about should it be legal or, or whatever. It's illegal. So I think it's important for us as an industry to, to work alongside lawmakers and enforcement in, in developing the right tactics, right, in keeping people safe. Agreed. You know, and tell us why it is so important that this instrument comes from Israel. Why is it so, why, explain why that's so important. Um, what's very interesting to me about Israel is that they have taken a very harsh environment and taught the rest of the world um, how to farm. Okay, so they have also implemented um, some farming, ancient African farming techniques from further south from where they are. Um, but yeah, they've taken a pretty unforgiving environment and gr gr they grow food there. So I think when we look at places like Israel that have been dealing with cannabis, way longer than the rest of the world on a legal level. Right. So the testing, the data, the, you know, the intelligence, it's there, the research is there. And, um, and so these guys are way ahead of the game. Way ahead of the game. Way ahead of the game. I mean, these guys are so smart. Another friend of mine, he created a, <clears throat> an instrument and a technology software that, it, it has sensors that basically go into your, your soil and your system will then kick in and feed the soil what it needs based on that feedback. So if you're low in nitrogen, you're low in phosphorus, you know, you're more dry over here than you are over here. It's very calculated and it cuts down cost it cuts down waste you know so looking to our friends in israel for this type of guidance i think you know is important you know so sometimes here in the u.s we get so like tunnel vision and closed in on ourselves that you know we have to realize that canada israel and other parts of the world are, are really like way ahead of us uh, in renewable energy let's look at china what they're doing with renewable energy and with cannabis and so as we sort of like are still stuck in what I like to call the industrial tech age, you know, we, we really have to start looking seriously at um, some of these practices and some of this technology. So my mission is to, you know, get the state of North Carolina to the table to at least consider this, this instrument that, you know, they've 
they've created. Um, but you may also know that the USDA and I believe the FDA have recently released their statements on hemp. Have they? I don't know. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I saw in there is, um, I don't remember if it was in the USDA document or in the temporary ban document that would have come from the state. But the state of North Carolina is asking that all hemp farmers test our product in a DEA lab, you know? And so you're looking at the stuff and you're like, there's obviously not enough people in the room that really understand, you know, what's going on. And so I think as an industry, we really need to step up to the plate and, and have those conversations with our lawmakers. Yeah. They would have to employ a shit ton of people to test everybody's hemp in North Carolina, right. just in North Carolina. Like imagine if it was everywhere else. I can't, there's right. they, they, the, the payroll would be so astronomically high. It's not worth it. And imagine you have 30,000 pounds of hemp sitting in your warehouse and you're 300th in line to get your shit tested. Right. What happens? Well, tell us. Right. You Well, you're going to get mold. Probably. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, you are going to lose a lot of the terpenes and those, you know, volatile uh, agents that live in your plant. And so your product becomes worth, uh, worth less. And so, you know, that's why it's important to have people that really understand the plant and understand the process in the room, involved in the conversation, um, um, to really make sense of it. Yeah. I agree. I totally agree. Uh, And I think some of the, you know, in North Carolina, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I, what I understand is there is so much biomass that people are still having to wait because there's not enough processing. And with that, you run into the exact same situation as, you know, you get mold or you have to store it somewhere. And, and it, you're talking about storing 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 pounds. That's a lot of, that's, that's a lot of storage Yeah. in yeah. hope, in hopes that it doesn't get, you know, mold or, or something bugs or anything could go wrong so it's super important to get it from the field to the processing in a timely manner if you want to keep like you said the cannabis if you want to keep the the high-grade cannabinoids uh in the plant and and to be able to process it without mold and whatever else could go wrong with it exactly so um you know it's sort of like this I believe the state government is out on break right now. So probably there's going to be no movement until early next year. Um, and, you know, it's sort of like this, this wait and see um, game that we're playing. Um, but b- between you and I and your listeners, um, I don't think that smokable ban is going to stick. Shit, no. So, There's no way. Very unlikely. No. And it's very unlikely that the DEA lab testing is going to stick. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. It's the first I've heard about that, but that's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Somebody was smoking and it wasn't happening. Crazy. 
So yeah, I I agree. I don't think either one of them are going to hold. And I think quite honestly, you know, they've spent so much time trying to figure this thing out. You know, at some point they got to look at dollars and cents, right? They got to look at the mm-hmm. fact that one, they're you know, smokable hemp is bringing in tax money, so you're spending tax money to fight off what's bringing in income. I don't, you know, the, to me that makes no damn sense. Mm-hmm. And, and so what they're going to probably, when I heard they were talking about doing was, oh, well, let's put a ban on smokable hemp until we legalize cannabis, which will be like two years down the road from now. So, you know, it's good for us to sort of go through this process and, and, and realize, first of all, there's no difference between the two. Right. Right. The only difference is with hemp, you got higher levels of THC, right? But if you're breeding, breeding hemp, I'm sorry, with cannabis, you have higher levels of THC. If you're breeding hemp in the right way, if you let it mature, the way that it should, you're going to get higher than 0.3% THC in that plant. That's true. So, you know, it's this whole process of, first of all, calling it what it is, which is cannabis sativa, and calling, uh, you know, psychoactive cannabis what it is, which is cannabis indica getting the conversation going around education, you right. know, um, I think it's going to do well for, for everybody involved, including our lawmakers. Um, but as you and I know, this is a tax game. It's a money game. Federal government is still structuring their, you know, um, their approach so that they can get their, their money. Of course. Um, so, you know, Let's let's see what happens. But it's a win-win for for the government. Really, it's a win-win yeah. as far as taxes goes. I mean, I know. I mean, just out of in Las Vegas, what is do you when you go and buy? I don't know. Give me a price. How much of it do you pay? How much tax do you pay on 15%. cannabis? Fifteen percent. Fifteen. Fifteen percent tax. What is it in California? The same? I don't know. I can't remember. But still, um, that's a well, lot. In Nevada, licensed cannabis businesses last year paid $100 million in tax, in sales tax. Wow. The year before that, it was $60 million. So we're on schedule. You know, the tax money is coming in, right? And that means states become more independent and less reliant on federal government. That means we can fix infrastructures like roads and schools. Uh, Nevada is like almost last in education, right? So all of our money was supposed to go towards, you know, educational programs. Last I heard, it's still sitting in an account somewhere. I don't know if they really understand what to do with it quite yet. But the point is $160 million worth of taxes in, in Two years, and we're not even talking about, we don't even know what 2019 will bring so far. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. That's a yeah. lot of money to be leaving on the table for every other state that it's not legal Think in. That. Think about that. Think about North Carolina. I could really use 
jobs. And, you know, uh, my friend that took me out to North Carolina, he's from there. Um, He was born and raised there. And we we pulled up to a gas station at one point in transit between one farm to another. And I guess it was around the time the people in the area were getting off work. And um, we noticed that there were a lot of young men, maybe mid to late 20s, um, early 30s that were walking around with these um, um, these not masks but you know the, the really thin head covers and, and, and body covers and so we were really interested in what you know because there was a lot of people kind of like in this after work guard and we were trying to figure out like where these people were and one of the locals one of his cousins told us he said these guys work at the chicken farms Mm. you know most of their job is like chasing chicken chickens Um, and it was very sobering right it's very sobering that a young man in his mid-20s early 30s like that when you think of the jobs available in his area that's pretty much it it's the chicken farm and we're talking about remote eastern carolina right Right. And like, you know, a couple other places. So it's really when when it, it comes back to that idea of being the equalizer, it's really a whole new frontier for people that otherwise, you know, may not have that much of a variety and opportunity. Right. You know? That's true. I don't know how many of those guys, if I ask them, would be like, yeah, this is what I've always wanted to do but they're doing it because they're good people and they need, and they know that they have to provide for their families. You know what I mean? So sure. you're going to do what you have to do as long as it's legal and it's safe. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just so excited. And, and I thank you so much for, for having me so I could share with you and your listeners, you know, this, some of the inside of what's going on in the industry. Absolutely. Um, I think this has been fantastic and such you know, you've, you've shed a lot of light on what's been going on. And I think that's important. People need to be in the know and hopefully that this will get to the, maybe the right person will hear this that can make that decision. That's higher up. Who knows? Absolutely. So that's the goal. As long as we can help somebody else, that's what we're here for. Absolutely. So, well, I want to thank you so much. Tell us where we can find you on social. Um, so I'm mostly on Instagram mm-hmm. and you can find me at K E E T A S I M O N E. Um, my, my business vertical is sweet sauce and that's S U I T E S A U C E.co. Um, that's our website. That's our Instagram handle. So I look forward to connecting with you and your listeners. Yes. Perfect. All right, my dear, you have a fantastic day. And thank you so, so much for taking the time out. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll chat soon. All right, dear. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning into the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey, not a destination.
Continue your pursuit by exploring more resources and insights over at coreybarrier.com. Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep striving for excellence. Stay inspired and see you on the next episode.